This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival of Halifax. My name's Siloan Daly. And I'm Philip Stamp. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Crazy Fish. My name is Shannon Brownlee, and I'm coordinating the festival's panel on the big picture. When many people hear the word animation, the first thing they think of is kids TV and movies, and maybe then they think of anime or um, something like Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. But on today's podcast, we're going to go a completely different route. Uh, we're going to talk about how animation can be used for social outreach and impact in things like public service announcements. As a form, animation has such power. It just it burrows into our hearts, it changes our minds, it blows our imaginations wide. And that gives it the power to transform our society. So with me today, I have Philip Stamp, who will talk about the project DHX Media has been doing with the Romeo Dallaire Child Soldiers Initiative. And I have Andrea Dorfman, who will tell us about her work with the Equality Effect and the NFB. Um, so welcome, everyone. Thank Hi. you. Hi. It's great to be here. Um, on Saturday, May 12th, uh, just before the closing night of the show, we're going to be having a panel with you and uh, one other animator. Um, all of you create work with powerful social impact. You see and you show us the big picture, which encompasses things like social justice and scientific research. So could you please start by telling me about your projects? How did they start? Who are you working with? And what's the goal of these projects? Sure. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll tell I'll talk a little bit about the equality effect and uh, and how I got involved. I um, I was asked by a group of human rights lawyers to document uh, a meeting. Um, they do collaborative legal justice work, and uh, using the law, they try to change laws in um, different Commonwealth countries in Africa, including Malawi, Ghana, and Kenya and to create equality for girls and women. Uh, so I went over to Nairobi and I, I filmed. I, I actually had no idea how I was going to communicate their work, but I filmed it with a, with a video camera, um, six days of meetings. And when I got back to Halifax to edit literally 40 hours of material, I realized I was not going to be able to communicate their work in a way that would be tangible and easy to understand um, for the people who they were essentially looking to to fundraise through and, and to make the work possible. So I reconceived um, the, the work and decided to use animation because it was simple, it was bright, it was colorful. I knew it was going to grab people. Uh, it would contrast the, the darkness of the work, perhaps, is a, is a way to put it. Um, a lot of the work they were doing was about, um, well, this particular project was trying to criminalize marital rape, which was legal in Kenya at the time. And, and I believe still is. So they wanted to uh, a video that they could use for um, they wanted a video that could be used to communicate their work on their website, to present to fund funders who might be able to give them money. So I got to work and um, and essentially made an animated film about what these incredible lawyers were doing and uh, and what they were achieving through their 
other collaborative legal work. And that was the beginning of, of really, I think I made four or five videos, uh, animated films for the equality effect over the years. Um, so when you decided to use animation to get the message across, was there, like, had you seen anything before that led you to believe that that was going to be the right way to get that message across? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think at that point, I'm, this was maybe 2011 when I started making videos for them. I think there had been examples of really powerful animated films in in the world, in, in pop culture, on the internet. YouTube was an incredible tool to disseminate information. Vimeo was just getting started at that time. So I think there was some really great examples that I could draw on and was influenced by. But I was also, I mean, this sounds kind of kind of funny, and I'm not meaning it to be. I was also really interested um, and influenced by Sesame Street. And no, I think that's a great source of influence. I mean, like, you know, that's something that's made a lot of impact. So. Yeah. And, and so I thought using Sesame Street as my model, like, how do I take these, these concepts that are challenging, um, legalese, which is a language that not very many spe- people speak or understand, how do I distill them into something that that literally a child could understand? Because some of the legal justice work they were doing actually included and were fighting for the rights of children. So were the films, um, who was the main target audience for those films? And, and was was that part of the um, decision to use animation? Like, were, were the films aimed at kids in Kenya? Were they aimed at um, wealthy North Americans who could uh, who could help contribute to the to the cause? Like, who who were the films being? Who were the films? Who was seeing the films? I would say that the films first and foremost were going to be used as a communication tool for the organization. And so they were going to put them up on their website, for example. Who could see their website? Well, pretty much everybody. Because it had because the um the work was benefiting girls and women, that could be a student doing a high school project or a law student interested in human rights law or as you just mentioned somebody who might be able to fund the project so i really felt it was important to be able to speak to a whole spectrum of people who might be able to see that video and also it was i mean i had made a a video that actually had gone viral a number of number of years before or actually not a number of years before i had made a video that had gone viral in 2010, so just before I started working with The Equality Effect. And because of that, I knew that my work was being seen by a lot of people. So I wanted to be able to access that audience as well. And and I loved the work that this organization was doing. I believed in it. And uh, and so through my YouTube channel, for example, I, I mean, I probably have 30,000 subscribers myself just because of that video. That's what happens when a video goes viral. Um, all of a sudden, more people would, would be able to access this, this video. So I consider all of my work part of uh, a body of work that is connected. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is um, related to or supporting uh, activist justice work, um, human rights work. Um, Phil, could you tell us about uh, about the DHX project? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so the project um, that we're working on with the Romeo Dallaire Child Soldiers Initiative 
it basically started because our CEO um, is a good friend of uh, of the general, and um, there was a an, an impetus for um, him personally as well as DHX to um, be able to um, contribute to a number of organizations to contribute charitably. It's part of the mandate of the company to do this, and so um, his relationship with the general was such that they were talking about, oh, maybe the animation studio can um, can create something. And so for, for context for people listening, um, uh, we have a studio here in Halifax with about 250 artists. And for the most part, you know, we make cartoons for kids. It's, you know, the, the typical things that, you know, people are used to in animation, the type of things that you talked about up front, you know, fun cartoons for kids and families and, you know, uh, bright, colorful, happy, um, and, uh, and then suddenly I was faced with talking to, um, a, a Canadian icon, um, who has a, a, an amazingly powerful story about an experience, uh, in Rwanda, saving tens of thousands of, of lives and, uh, in so doing, um, coming out of it with, uh, you know, uh, some scars, and uh, it wasn't until I met him and we talked uh, that um, I was aware that he had encountered child soldiers and was incredibly inspired to form this um, uh, organization to, um, to try and uh, cease the use of child soldiers by various, you know, military and paramilitary groups around the world. So, um, you know, he spoke very passionately about it and we started talking about the material and they came with this, uh, this handbook and, you know, like I said, bear in mind that the, the, the juxtaposition of this for me is I, you know, I was going, you know, in the morning from having conversations about, you know, the, the, the cute color sneakers that some character, little cute little girl character needed to be wearing once she was chasing a puppy for some show to suddenly talking about, you know, children in combat for real. So it was quite um, a jump for me emotionally to try and have to to make that leap. And I, I looked at the material and they had this handbook that outlined the 11 most common scenarios uh, in which peacekeepers would encounter child soldiers. And as I was looking through these scenarios, they were, you know, they, they were gut-wrenching. Um, there were stories I'm not even really going to bother conveying, but when you were looking at the training material and I was looking at at I was looking at the the general and people on his team, and some of the things that were in the the manual were really like you know you have to teach um, teach peacekeepers that are out in the field that they need to remember that these are children, and so I I I I had no idea if there was anything we could do, and. A source of inspiration for me on this, I went away and I thought about it, and I remembered a film that I had seen in a number of years ago, which was um, uh, a Miyazaki uh, feature film called. Well, it wasn't. It was produced by Studio Ghibli, a film called Graveyard of the Fireflies, and Graveyard of the Fireflies was about two children surviving the aftermath of the firebombing of Tokyo. It's an incredibly beautiful and moving and tragic and sad film that hit me very, very hard because it was animated. There was something about the juxtaposition of these animated characters in this very real life and death scenario that was related to actual, you know, an actual event. 
<clears throat> and then subsequent to that, um, on a you know follow up meeting with the general, we wound up seeing um, images uh, drawn by child soldiers, drawings of themselves as children holding guns, and drawings of them with their you know fellow child soldiers. So I thought, okay, there's there's a way that we can we can tell the story here. So we looked through that manual and we chose uh, two scenarios. And uh, one of the scenarios is about a, a, a group of peacekeepers that show up at a checkpoint and the checkpoint um, is being guarded by two young boys with AK-47s and the tensions, uh, you know, reach a, a crisis point and one of the soldiers shoots one of the young boys. And the way that we did the film is we wanted to do it in accordance with what the manual that we saw was outlining, which was a scenario that showed you a worst case scenario and a best case scenario. So, you know, if things were allowed to escalate to a certain level and communications were not good, it would lead, you know, this is, this was the inevitable outcome was the death of a child. And then the, the other side of it was it leading to the soldiers being able to convince the kids to put down their guns and actually um, get the help of a United Nations um, child services worker. And the film is not ready yet, and it won't be ready until August of this year. But we had a kind of a prototype version of the film um, late last year. And we screened it in front of a group of uh, current and former military personnel, most of whom had um, experienced um, encountering child soldiers uh, for real. And I was sitting there, you know, sweating and going, oh, oh my God, I'm showing a cartoon to these people. I don't know if this is, I don't know if we're doing justice to the subject matter. And a couple of seats away from me was uh, um, um, General Dallaire and uh, a couple of his associates. And we screened the film in front of them and I looked across and everyone Everyone's eyes were, you know, welling up with, with tears. And there is something about the fact that it was animated characters. There was something about the fact that it was somehow underscoring the innocence of the characters in the, in the narrative that somehow touched a nerve. Because I think that people, when you look at animation, whatever the subject matter, it puts you in a place of being a child. And so, you know, when it touches on something that's serious, it manages to kind of hit a raw nerve that live action can't really do, which is why I think it's wonderful that, uh, Andrea, that you've sort of, that, that you arrived at a similar um, place in exploring the, me the message that you're trying to get across in your film. Mm -hmm. And and I think just just building on that, it it's actually as an artist, as an animator, it's it was very natural to move into animating the example I'll use as, as a young rape victim, for example, uh, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't use a, a live-action child to convey this, but this does happen. So to be able to have the freedom to, to use a character who removes um, 
who's who's removed from reality. And yet this is a very real situation. I think you're right. I think that's where the connection is made for the viewer that um, it doesn't have to um, exploit an actual child a second time, uh, you know, sort of re-victimizing or, or traumatizing a child, even an actor to have to 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 go through a performance. Um, but everybody it becomes universal very fast uh, as a as an audience member. Do you do you think that the um, the audiences? I I love what you were saying, Phil, about in a way the audience's defense is being down because it is animation and it just gives you that immediacy. Um, as you say, like you kind of you, be, you become a child and your defenses are down and it gives you that immediacy when you're interacting with the material. Um, Andrea, are, are you um, like have you spoken to people who have seen the films who have who have had sort of similar um, really gut responses to them? Absolutely. That it, when uh, Philip was talking about it, it's very similar. It's uh, it's personal. It's emotional. There's something about a, a character who is, even though they're animated, very much alive, and um, and as you as you said, Philip, connected to childhood, which is our most vulnerable self, probably, and uh, and so people find it very very moving. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I really don't mind on this podcast. I've obviously given away a lot of information about this film. I've told people how it ends. And I don't really mind doing that. And the reason I don't mind doing that is because uh, I know people who have, who have both worked on the film as well as people who have been associated with it, who have seen it many, many, many times, and still after like a 7th, 8th, 10th screening it still touches their vulnerability. I've seen, I've still seen people get, you know, teary eyed watching it, fully knowing what to expect. And, um, and somehow there's, like I said, it just, it's a medium that touches a nerve um, and consistently is able to do that. But it's interesting that you say that, um, uh, that you've said how it ends, because in a way, I mean, part of the reason we're here for this panel is that, it may end on the screen, but it hasn't ended in reality. That's exactly you know, it. Like yeah. it hasn't, you know, both both of these projects, these are ongoing projects. Yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, the other thing too is uh, in in the film that um, that we have, it's two. It's a two part film. Um, there's a second part that's about you know prisoners being detained. It's a separate story. I'm not going to say anything about that one. Um, but um, but you're absolutely right. It's this. It's it's not over. It's actually just starting, and uh, and by the same token, it's it's the same like the use of it, but putting it out there. And what I found really also fascinating about it is the discussion of who who it's for. And um, I really like uh, Andrea. I really like listening to your experience of how the message was going to get out there, who it was available for, who was going to see it, and it was a very different sort of a, an experience for me. Where, like I said, I normally the type of animation that I'm normally associated with is not in that vein of that type of serious subject matter. But these films are meant to be for lawmakers, you know, government officials, average citizens, soldiers, non-soldiers, children, adults, everyone. And they, everyone, because everyone can connect with it. 
I, I'd love to ask you a bit more about the collaboration with the with the two groups that you've been working with, with the Equality Effect um, and with the uh, Child Soldiers Initiative. When you're when you're making an animation, you're not on set with people in the same way that you're on set with people in um, in live action filmmaking. And of course, there's a lot of collaboration that happens offset, like outside of outside of um, uh, production as well. But do you find that the kind of collaboration that you've had with these two organizations, with these organizations, has been? Um, could you just tell us a little bit about the collaboration uh, through the animation process in guiding um, both the emotional truths of the films um, and also uh, the social aims of the films? Sure. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe I'll start. I, uh, Like I said, I originally thought I would show a live-action do- documentary and, um, and quickly change my mind to animation. And when I first approached the organization I, I, with this idea, uh, they were... Um, confused and thought, well, we brought you to Kenya so that you could film and now you're not even going to use that footage. And uh, so I, I said, just wait, I will make something and then you can decide. And as soon as they saw it, it they realized that this was the way to go, that uh, if they wanted to speak to um, a, a large and broad group of people, if they wanted their message to be simplified, that this would work really well. It began a, a way of communicating with them where I could um, I could show them samples, and we very quickly started speaking the same language. I would say, um, and it's always been very collaborative. After that, just because they 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 didn't know I was going to um, turn everything into an animation, and just because it's so accessible, I think, and we could collaborate very easily. Um, it actually was really in- inclusive. So everything I've done with the equality effect with the organization has um, been a lot of going back and forth. And I, I, they're in Toronto and I live in Halifax and I work alone. So um, everything we do is over the internet and we can do that nowadays. It's really easy. So, uh, so there's a constant flow of a bl- back and forth flow of communication, which is, which is great. How did you find being alone with the subject matter, though? Like, how was that for you? I feel like I, I going to Kenya was hugely informative for me because I got to, I got to meet all the lawyers. I got to understand the work. I mean, it was almost like research. So that when I, I was back in Halifax, working alone, I had this incredible foundation to draw upon. Um, and I have subsequently gone back many times as well. And in the end, the the pieces that I do for the Equality Effect, a lot of them are um, uh, after that initial one, which was totally animation. It's a combination now of live action and animation. So I do use footage that I've shot in Kenya. But um, working alone is interesting because I do the animation, that element. I do all the editing, the sound design. I do all that alone, but I feel like I'm I'm very much part of a group of people, and it's an international group of people. They're not just in in Toronto. The organization is based in Toronto, but there are people um, all literally all over the world involved in this organization who I've been in contact with. So one of the things I love about it is that I'm part of a a big community that is doing this work. I think that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. 
I mean, what about what about for you? Is everything based here in in Halifax for you? Um, pretty much, yes. I mean, we um, DHX is a large company, and you know, so we did some post production work uh, out of our Vancouver studio, um, but otherwise, it was all done here, um, and uh, you know, in in in. Collaborate. I mean, I have to say the Child Soldiers Initiative, were, they were and are an amazing group of people to connect with, to, to collaborate with. And I mean, you know, I, I, think, I, think people that, that, I think people that take on these challenges and that's what they do day in, day out, uh, I think it's extraordinary. So, I mean, for us, this, it was like one of a, a bunch of projects that we're working on. Um, and for them to be able to do this day in, day out requires an incredible tenacity for um, um, wanting to achieve a better world, right? So um, they, they were so wonderful to deal with that when, you know, w- when we were talking with them first about the project, we honestly didn't know if we were even going to animate anything. We didn't know if we were just going to, you know, engage some of our in-house artists to, you know, create some artwork or or you know, illustrations for a website, or we really didn't know what we were going to do. And um, so we had a conversation and I said, um, you know, I said, if we're going to do this, uh, I want to do something that's meaningful. I want to do something that we don't have to rush through. Uh, I don't want to do it with the notion that we just got to get it done. Because, uh, you know, that's so much of production. Um, I mean, and, you know, you guys know what that's like. You're in production, you got deadlines and things just have to get done. This was not that kind of project. This was, we need to do it right um, and so let's just take the time to do something that we can be, you know, that we can feel good about. And, uh, and they were a hundred percent on board with that. They were, you know, so there was a couple of times when we said, oh, you know, it'll be, you know, we'll have it ready for this date. And then the date would come and go. And we were like, you know, sorry, it's not, not, not ready yet. And they were like, okay. So, you know, cause they, the, 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 the collaboration with it, with them was, we all have to feel like what we have is meaningful. And if we rush through it and compromise when we don't have to, um, then we're just, we're just going to be disappointed in ourselves. So that's been really, you know, a unique experience working with them, having that freedom to say, you know what, we, we need to, uh, times then we felt like we need to slow down. We need to make sure that we're doing this right. We need to make sure that, you know, this little moment is, is, you know, is being hit. And when you're talking about an animated character, I'm sure that you've experienced the same thing on, on your project where, there's a moment where your character is, is either going to or about to hit some kind of traumatic experience. And there's a subtlety and nuance that you have to bring to that. And, you know, you'll do it and then you'll go, oh gosh, I don't know if that worked. I don't know if I hit that or not. I don't know if the point is coming across and you go back 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 and then, you know, you screen it in front of a couple of people and you know, and you watch the person, like you watch your audience reacting to the thing on screen and you see it hit them and you're like, okay, all right, I think I got something here then if it's working. And, um, and we did that collaboratively. We, we had a couple of little test screenings with the, with the folks from the Child Soldiers Initiative and, and they were, you know, they were absolutely wonderful to, to work with. This is really inspiring. Um, as somebody who's very committed to issues of social justice, it's it's great to hear artists taking such serious responsibility of the material and the stories you're telling, as well as um, the audiences you're going to be telling them to. So thank you so much. 
you've both spoken um, in a way, in different ways, about how the abstraction that comes with with animation, and maybe maybe abstraction isn't the best word. Maybe universalism it can be a better word too. Um, and I, I love how you've like you've you've applied it to these situations as is appropriate. I um, uh, Andrea, when you talked about not revictimizing a child, using that kind of abstraction or, or universalization of animation in order to um, preserve uh, to to preserve real human beings who have gone through these um, and protect uh, real human beings who have gone through these traumatic experiences um, and the and Philip you were talking about the um, the the kids with the AK-47 well they're, they're not those specific kids they are kids with capital K almost um, with AK-47s. Um, so I just wondered if you had thoughts uh, specifically as artists um, when you're when you're designing these characters, um, how much individual like are, are you striving for certain degrees of individuality or certain degrees of universality? I mean, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And and you know we you know the artists on the team working on it, uh, you know, we work together to build up a database of of images of real, um, you know, real child soldiers, and looked at you know their faces and 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 what's really um, and that's why I asked you, uh, Andrea, about uh, being alone with the material because you know there were many days when we were you know finessing and we, where we still are working on finessing a moment, you know, and it's like oh this is the moment when this animated character is going to experience trauma and you get removed from it right you get removed from it and and it's funny because you're removed from it in the same way as you know as an artist doing life drawing right like you're just looking at the model as a as an object and so you're you know you're there with these characters and they're not real and but they're a proxy they're a proxy of a real child they're a proxy of a real adult you know doing something horrible to a child and you know you you remove yourself from the subject matter to a certain extent because you know you're doing something horrible right like you're depicting something horrible but to your point Andrea it's you know it's kind of guilt free because you're not trauma you're not really traumatizing a real act you know actor let alone an actual you know person that's really going through the experience but I have to say, and, and I'm curious with you as well, and specifically having, you know, gone to Kenya and stuff, like, you know, uh, changing gears from that, from being in that mode, that intense mode of trying to to get that performance out of a character, you know, and then you're like, okay, I'm done that for the day, and you'll go off and do something else and, sh you know, completely shift gears. Um, and I, f I found and still do find that that'll happen, and an hour later I, I, I have to... Like I have to just find some way to clear my head, um, you know, so uh, because just things come back and they, you know, it's like they smack you in the back of the head um, that, you know, what you've just animated is not, uh, you know, something cute and funny or silly or something to make somebody laugh or uh, not even something to make somebody cry. It's, it's, it's that and more. And it does, it comes back, it comes, for me, I found it really, you know, comes back and hits you because you, 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 you can't really relate to what you've done. Um, and yeah, it's, it's different. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that was really well put. I think it it comes and and hits you and it hits you when it's least expected. I definitely going to Kenya and working um, alongside the lawyers and meeting some of the victims um, of different uh, scenarios and legal cases made it very real. And um, looking into people's eyes who have uh, have been victims of, in this case, gender violence, um, was uh, on the one hand um, incredibly informative for the work I was doing, but also really challenging to witness, and um, and also informed me in ways that I think made me very sensitive to the material. So it felt very important. Um, but I don't, and just to answer your question, Shannon, cause it's sort of related. I think that how I would depict those characters really depended on the specific story or idea I was getting across. Sometimes the, the characters would be more universal to be able to, um, t- so that everybody could put themselves in that position and some of the characters were very specific to tell a, a very specific story because it might have been uh, contributing their story, contributing to evidence of a of a bigger legal case. So it was important to give details. And I think each has a, a resonating effect. Um, to, details can can be um, can really draw you in, you know, because it it seems real, like a, a real character, and these were real people. Um, that the characters were based on. But then a, a character, some of the the characters I created actually didn't have faces. And there's something about that that is also going to draw you in because you can project um, your own child, your own self, your sister, your mother onto that character. Thanks, everyone, so much for your thoughts. Uh, and thank you to the audience for joining us for Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival Halifax. To hear more and to see the animated works we've been discussing, come to the Big Picture panel on Saturday, May 12th. Uh, We'll be joined by Philip Stamp and Andrea Dorfman. We'll also be joined by Ryan Cameron from Electric Puppets. His company um, works in the medical field with virtual reality. You can find more information about all the screenings, workshops, and events on the Animation Festival website, which is anifx.ca. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks for joining us for Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival of Halifax. For more information about screenings, workshops, events, and tickets, go to the website anifx.ca. That's anifx.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram at afx.2018 or on Facebook at Animation Festival Halifax. For those of you who use Twitter, you can get additional information by following at CarbonArc. That's at Carbon underscore Arc. See you at the festival. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.